Good news, you're here just in time. Here's another Laneway Talks. Hi Elliot, hi Gillian, it's Vincent calling from Laneway Talks and it's good to have you on the show today. Now we start off normally with a couple of standard questions and I'm going to start with Gillian and go, where, where did you grow up Gillian, what city, country, where did you come from? Uh, I was born in Greenwich, London, in England. Both my parents are British. Um, but I grew up in three uh, three provinces of Canada. And then we moved around America, been in a few states of America, went back to England, uh, and basically lived in quite a few places, went to many different schools, and then up here in Australia and wow. love it. I mean, you've obviously had a very extensive um I, I suppose, experience of different countries there. You've really moved around. Were your parents in, I don't know, the Army, Navy, or uh, what was uh, the story? My dad was, my, my dad was in the Air Force, but um, at this time he wasn't. He he just was a bit of a gypsy, I think, at heart, and liked to move around and experience new places. Um, very interested in history, and, and you know, uh, and his job allowed him to, to do that. That's so fantastic. I was blessed in some ways and not in others when it came to schooling. <laughs> what about you, Elliot? Uh, I was born in Wagga Wagga in New South Wales and uh, on the first day before decimal currency came in. And uh, and then mum and dad brought me up in Sydney. And, uh, yeah, so that's... Uh, yeah, so that, an Australian musician, yeah, through and through. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Gillian, tell me a little bit about, you know, your background in music. Did you even have any background in music? Um, well, look, I, I grew up with a, a very musical family. I guess, um, you know, music was everything, like, in our house. Um, both my parents were uh, terrific singers, terrific dancers, both of them. And they, my mother actually sang with Dave Brubeck at one stage, and, um, and they taught me to sing, but... They came from, from the era where, you know, they didn't really believe there was a, a career in music or, or drama or that kind of thing. So, Well, um, we're about to set them straight on that, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, my mum's thrilled. Well, so's my dad in a lot of ways. But, you know, it was all about academics and getting a job and be able, be able to support yourself and pay your rent or your mortgage, you know. So I followed a different path for, for many years. Mm. So it's it's not as if you're a guitarist or a drummer or a keyboard player uh, or anything like that. No, but I write songs in my head. Yeah. I hear the tune, yeah. hear the melody, I hear the lyrics, yep. and then I'm just blessed that I've got somebody who you can transfer that to. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Exactly. Elliot, exactly. what about yourself? Um, I, I started playing guitar in uh, 1979. Uh, 1980, I think it was. And um, how old were you, Elliot? Um, I think I was 13, 14, 13, and um, it, it sort of came. But I'd been mucking around with tape before that because back in 1970, um, Dad had all these old records of Glenn Miller and things like that, and the big bands. And I think he sort of uh, got Jack of having to turn the record over every 18 minutes. So what he did, he bought a reel-to-reel tape recorder and we slowed it down and he showed me how to transfer the records onto the tape so we could have a tape on continuously for three hours, you know, while we're, while we're around the house. So Fantastic. I was sort of supporting things pretty, pretty early. 
like yeah. from even before I started school, really. So and uh, then, well, when, well, when you when you were starting out like that, like let's go back to when you're 13, you're picking up a guitar, you're you know experimenting. Yep. But what type of music uh, came to mind? I mean, what did you like at the time? Uh, I, I think a couple of early singles that I bought was like Ebony Eyes by Bob Welsh, the Let's Sit wow, Together yeah, album. Okay, yeah, know it well. Yep, um, that was stuff that I thought that that, that sounds cracking, you know. I like, mean, and I think there's, this there's always the, something, Elliot, that um, you can always remember throughout your musical career. And so, for example, for me, uh, it would be probably listening to the first Kiss record when nobody knew about them, and we played that thing to death. Um, but uh, then it came to um, Judas Priest, the second album, Sad Wings of Des- Destiny, and uh, and you know, and the particular sound, whatever you know, everybody's different what they like, but it just, man, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And, um, yep. and, you know, I, I kind of obviously fl- followed that flavour. Now, you're talking about Bob Welsh, right? Yeah. And, uh, and that's a completely uh, different, it's a real Americana sound with Bob. You know. Yeah, well, but at, at the same time, with, uh, I, I, I'd be listening to, say, uh, that Roxy Music album, and I just thought it was just so atmospheric and big and... Uh, you know, and, and then, then um, and I think around that time, Trevor Horn's production was getting like hitting the airwaves. Yeah. Frankie has the Holly yes, yeah. and Grace Jones plays to the rhythm, and that's the, and and all of a sudden, I think a drum kit stopped sounding like a cardboard box. Yeah, and it yeah. sounded like it was recorded in a castle. You know, and 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 so I fell in love with those really big atmospheric sounds, especially with Roxy music where Andy Mackay could play one note on the soprano saxophone and just make you melt, you know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah, was, I, and I, I, I tend to, you, you're already giving us a flavour of where you're coming from um, and which would probably start to be reminiscent of your style. Um, and then, so what, I mean, let, let's go and say, well, what was your fir- first band, you know? Uh, where did you go to? So yep. what was your first band that you actually... Um, uh, started or joined or whatever. Uh, first first band I started was when we were uh, fifteen, I think, and we we really sucked. Um, we, our band was called Ground Level, and we started um, off at up near Hornsby in Sydney. And uh, anyway, there was two guitarists, a bass, and, and drums, and we practiced our little hearts out every weekend in a in a mate's dad's carpet factory, and uh, and. And, and they're all of a sudden we were supporting the oils, the divinals, the angels, um, because they thought we were little guys who were still sounded all right. And we were getting some really, really good shows. And um, and so for the next two, three years, we, we were cracking. And, and I think our parents were a bit worried because it was the last three years of school and you should be concentrating on your studies. And we we're out playing Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. Uh, <laughs> And uh, but anyway, then one day I think our drummer got a call, and the next thing is in the machinations, and then a month later he's calling us from Madison Square Garden. He's on drums at Ice House, <laughs> you know. Like <laughs> so, our band folded after that, and I went on to other bands, and all the other boys went on to get normal jobs. But I carried on and went into other bands from there. Um, Gillian, what about yourself? 
Um, I didn't really look. I, I was in a band uh, in high school um, with uh, some really good musicians, um, and we were actually um, we were actually being managed by Paul McCartney's sister. Yeah. And she was very interested, Ruth McCartney, in taking us all the way kind of thing. And, you know, it, it was kind of strange living in Los Angeles because, I mean, everybody was in a band. Everybody was, you know, um, just getting, you know, um, getting on with their lives. I mean, I went to school with Slash. I went to school with Tommy Lee's sister. So I was kind of hanging around with all those kind of people. So was and, it was um, it basically? I mean, you were you're in a sense living and breathing music when you start naming I names was like that. Music, and I mean, even the boys from Poison were renting our garage. Oh know? wow! Um, when they arrived in Los Angeles, from I think it was Philadelphia, their band their van broke down. Um, so it was pretty crazy scene. And then I got a boyfriend who was Australian. And he was actually supporting Judas Priest, Motley Crue, Kiss, the band he just named. And that's what ended up bringing me to Australia. So I gave away my dreams and moved here. But then I started working in the music industry here behind the scenes for um, companies like Kevin Jacobson's. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I was living music. I wasn't fulfilling my own dream, if that makes sense. Well, I, well there's nothing. I, I, mean, I ended up. I ended up getting a bit. I was a bit shy, to be honest. I, yeah. I had stayed terribly. Well, I mean, so. I, I think, I think I probably did a similar type of thing. Um, you know, uh, if you're a musician, I I think if you're a real musician, you do dream. You want, you know, you dream of success. Um, and I dreamt like everybody else, but. Um, I got involved in the business side of the music industry and uh, I consider myself extremely lucky that my whole um, uh, working career has been music and entertainment and I, so I took I took that that path and didn't take the path of being a professional musician which is all I dreamt about but um, I I say to many people it's been fascinating also on that side of course, of course, and I think by watching people who I was inspired by and being around people, it helped me in my later years fulfill my dream. But um, working on the industry side, it certainly helped. Uh, I think both Elliot and I, in a business sense, as far as knowing how to book gigs and knowing how to send promo and knowing how to, you know, do the follow-up, do contracts, those kind of things. Whereas I, I think we, when you look at Sideshow Annie, um, you, you it does come out because, you know, your videos are <laughs> exceptional quality, the songs are, you know, exceptional, and um, and just your ability to make sure you're, you're on the social media, it's happening. And, and it there is so many artists that say to me at times, I don't do social media. And my answer to that is, well, it will be a one in a trillion shot that you make it. Uh, you must be on social media. And social media is our marketing and promo that we did in the 70s and 80s. Uh, it's just <laughs> transferred. Yeah. So you're doing, I think, very well. Even back then, like, 
knowing that every Monday I had to send the gig guides to the bands, you know, um, and get them in for the Wednesday. You know, all of those things stay with you, you know, mm-hmm. even. So, so I think that's helped us immensely you must um, for everybody listening uh you know there when you get to social media and you're doing it uh, like yourselves on a professional basis mm-hmm. um social media posts need to happen whether it be uh through youtube or youtube community or shorts or stories or facebook or yep. instagram or tiktok yep. you must have yep. a schedule and you cannot give up that schedule it must happen like clockwork and it is about getting to that audience on a regular basis you cannot disappear for a while so i think that fares well for you guys that you had that background jillian and have Mm -hmm. been able to apply it well uh, elliot admittedly i haven't done tiktok yet i've heard that it's more um for the younger People, but well, I don't know with, with all due respect to TikTok, I, I've been reading in the paper, I think it's going to be banned soon, isn't it? Because it's uh, Chinese, oh, really? owned, Chinese owned or whatever. Um, that was okay. my understanding is because uh, they're okay. collecting data. <laughs> and we had a discussion about this in the office a couple of weeks back that, mm-hmm. you know, what should we do? Because there is all this talk of the US, you know, getting to the point of banning TikTok. Uh, uh, and whatever, and will that happen here? And you start to delve in more, and the Chinese government's involved, and is all that. But what kind of data are they getting? Is it the data they're getting off there of any value anyway? Who cares? Um, and it's a probably a discussion, a, a bigger discussion, which we'll have on a later show, re-social media. Yeah. But, Elliot, um, I want to ask you a question. So when did you consider that you'd gone professional? Uh, I, I was in the early 20s and, and I was sort of, uh, Dad told me I've got to get something behind me. So I went to uni, dropped out after three months and then did an electrical trade and did electronics certificate at night. And so I was working in the uh, air conditioning game um, until I finished my trade, but still playing two or three nights a week. And as soon as I got my ticket, I quit. <laughs> and at that point, I... I, I, I felt like I, I was a full-time musician, and I tell you what, for the first, um, well, for a long time, you know, you're poor as church mice, and you're living on two-minute noodles, and, you know, if you get $100 on your credit card, it takes you six months to pay off. I'm still you know? living on two-minute noodles. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so the thing was, I, I think early on, a lot, a lot of my mates were playing in cover and concept shows, and right from ground level days back in 1981, 82, if my guitar teacher showed me a new chord, I'd go home and I'd move that up and down a fretboard and make a song with it, write lyrics to it. And the band said, you're the songwriter. And from then on, I've written songs. And I've always found a value and in creativity and, um, you know, in, in, in not just getting up in parrot fashion, fashion copying somebody else. And I know that's most of the Australian pub music scene, but to be able to pepper it with a couple of your own songs and then look around sometimes and have somebody singing the lyrics to your song in the audience or a couple of people wearing your shirts, it makes you, it makes you year, it makes you day. You know? well, Elliot, tell me, when you did go professional or when you considered, when you got your ticket, whatever, who were you playing with? Uh, at the time I was playing with a 
Sydney uh, band called Carnival of Lost Souls. It was sort of yes, like mate, a... Yeah, know them well. So know well. they were across a... I think John Hamilton had just left and gone to Jenny Morris' band. Yeah. And I, I was asked to fill in for him. And the Carnival of Lost Souls was doing um, like a crossover between erasure, um, dance music, and meets Billy Idol kind of thing. Mm, Steve mm. Stevens kind of uh, playing. So we we're sort of like doing the funky disco stuff, but with the heavy look guitar lines as well. Um, and then I moved on to Prestige Fix, which did quite well. It was more of a cure sound. Yeah. And then, and then that finished. I saw images. Then that finished. I think with images, we actually end up going getting signed to Peter Dawkins, the BMG Group, and Warner's Publishing, and uh, and and that sort of um, and, and and that went on for quite a while. Um, and that would have and, been the Matt Finish second generation or third generation. That's yeah? right. Yeah. So I think I, I was the last lineup to actually play with Matt. Yeah. And tour with Matt. Yeah. Uh, and write with Matt. So we wrote an album together, but never saw the light of day. It was, we just, I think we all had a fallout. That was um, a very, very gifted individual, but very challenging yeah. socialist. Did John Pryor ever release it? Uh, no, uh, he and Matt had gone separate ways at that point. But oh, God. John oh, well. And uh, at the turn what of sh- the century. What a shame that you get that happening. You recorded so, a record um, that never saw the light of day. With, but I saw that it was going to be um, – John and I did some work together and we were putting together a Yes concept show, actually. But the thing was it was getting in the way of Side So I, I dropped it. You were also in a band called Skinny for a while. Yeah, 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 yeah. We had some success on Double J or Triple J. Yeah, back in the late eighties, uh, skinny. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that was quite quite indie. You know, I was, I was still, still getting my chops together yeah. up until the late eighties. You know, what, what, you know what, I can, what I can kind of see is if you have a look. Okay, Matt Finish was, uh, I suppose, your Australian pub rock band, but. If I go through those other musical inf- influences of yours and then I put that across your guitar playing, I really do see your guitar playing as a, um, it's your classic American M.O.R. Let's call it Fleetwood Mac or all that kind of stuff. That's where, to me, that's where you sit. Um, and I, but yeah. your influences are actually a little bit left of centre from there. Would you agree with so, that or would you say no? Hold on a minute. Yeah, very, very much so. And, and I think there was a time like when I was growing up when all my mates were into you know, blues music like Hendrix, Zeppelin and things like that. And that, uh, I was more interested in Roxy music, you know, <laughs> like uh, probably a little bit more, um, uh, I, don't, I don't know, maybe more glam. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, you know, when Kiss Alive 1 was out and Dynasty later on, I just... Um, I love those albums. You know, I, I wore a live one out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of us. Yeah, like a lot of us. I mean, I mean, I, um, I'm a little bit eclectic. You know, I can go across. I, I absolutely love jazz rock, and um, um, one of my favourites being an Australian band called Crossfire, which is Jim Kelly on guitar. Um, and I'm a big fan, but but then I'm there with Kiss, you know, or Judas Priest, but early Judas Priest, or I'm there with Glenn Hughes or Trapeze. Um, and, yep. you know, I mean, and, and that's what makes the music industry so fantastic is everybody has such different tastes 
that it gives everybody an opportunity to delve into their particular taste. Um, so, yes. Gillian, tell me, um, at the moment, uh, with Sideshow Annie, um, how, I mean, Sideshow Annie for everybody have quite a few records out, and it, I'm looking at them all here, and mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's four or five albums there. And what what are you feeling like in your development from when you started with Elliot um, and, you know, starting to put Sideshow to get, uh, Sideshow Annie together and that first record or your first recordings to what you're doing now? Um, how, how, what, what's the development been like? Uh, well, okay, so, um, well, I think we've had a few lineup changes, not, not, um, not because we've wanted to, but just because people have changed, um, you know, passed away, that kind of thing. Um, so when you're working with different people as well, you're kind of influenced by what they can bring to the table also and what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, we when we started, it was just Elliot and I. We didn't actually have a band. And when we, when we won a songwriting competition... Uh, we decided to make an album. But as I said, it was just the two of us. So we used one of Elliot's friends from me and my, Eddie Hansen, and he produced it. And um, it, it, so the first album was very polished. There was um, no doubt. I could put your first album in the comparisons of Eagles. To me, uh, the right, flavour okay. of it was the Eagles. So as you said, very polished. Quite overproduced. There was a lot in there, um, you know. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, um, it was a bit different than what I heard it when when we started writing it. If you know what I mean. But we didn't have our own studio then. Um, we were both working day jobs at that at that stage. Yeah. Um, and then, as we moved into our own studio and started recording ourselves and had the girls join the band. Um, it became a bit more blues and, and, and roots, more rock and everything. With our, and then we had Lindsay Cabot for a long time who from the Choir Boys, who was yeah. our drummer. Yeah. Which was fantastic. Um, and we had so many good times. I mean, we toured Japan. We got to do so many amazing things. But now, with the two boys, Dave and Matt, I'm, I'm finding we're going back to a more rock sound, a more classic rock sound. Yeah, I think you'd be right in saying that. And I like it. I, I'm happy there because, I mean, you know, I, I like all kinds of music. I don't have, I mean, you're talking about Kiss. I mean, I must have played God and Thunder over, God of Thunder over and over again in my basement mm, as mm. a young girl. And I've always loved, big rock bands, but I also, you know, in saying that, I also love Patti Smith, and I love Marianne Faithfull, and I love Janis Joplin, and I love Hart, and, you know, and, and I go all the way back to Billie Holiday and Ella Fitzgerald. I mean, those are really my influences. Um, I think I've found with your voice, Gillian, from the beginning up until these latest couple of tracks, especially the latest one, Hello High Water, mm-hmm. is that you're actually pushing your voice even further and it's actually becoming a bigger voice and and, you, and it's quite it's quite obvious that you're pushing it um, a lot harder and it really is developing into a you know a really powerful vocal 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that's definitely happening with with what you got. So, Elliot, have, how have you found, what's your opinion on the development from the first recordings up till today? Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, from a technical point of view, I noticed we were used to be using a, like a, uh, some, some Neumann condenser mics, which are very detailed. And I, I've had to pull back and move to some Roya Rubens on Jill's voice because it sort of like captures that more old school sound, which is what we're after. And it, it just sort of meets up with her voice beautifully. And Jill's just got one of those voices that it's just developed to a point where half the time she doesn't need the PA system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, um, I mean, from, you know, if you look at the latest, we're using a voice box. That's that's old school. There is no doubt. I think a, a lot of young kids probably don't have never seen a voice box used before. But even I think the Wow Wow pedal isn't as as popular as it used to be um and you know and then the types of guitars that are used to where that sound comes from um have you changed the kind of guitar that you use uh to give it a different sound over the years where you um i've seen this so many times where uh some guitarists i don't know might start with a les paul and you know, the, the, the guitar they're using today is so different from a Les Paul, it's unbelievable, and they never go back to that. I've seen others that have stuck with Les Pauls or SGs their whole life. Um, but how have you gone that way? Something that has definitely changed there in, in the way we write, especially because we've gone from a two-guitar band down to a one-guitar band. I've sort of, for the most part, ditched the Gibson 175 like the Steve Howe the jazz box, yeah, and humbuckers on it, and uh, yeah. a, a Les Paul which has humbuckers. I've sort of those have taken a back seat to a couple of uh, old seventy straps that we've uh, purchased. But they sort of just have the right feel and right sound. Uh, real zing in the chord. They're not too creamy. They're really, really that they really spank almost like a Telecaster. Yeah, but at the same time, rip out a lid and. You know, you listen to a lot of the old classic solos by Jimmy Page, you know, from Zeppelin, and um, and that was like done on Fender guitars. And I just find that the sound seems to cut and really it works with Jill's voice a lot better now, yeah. rather than yeah. a really big fat sound. We have a more spanky and cutting sound, you know, like um, I think, you know, and, and I think the Strat itself has a very a, a, a almost sweet throaty sound about it as well mm, mm. and so we've almost changed to that uh, exclusively for everything we've done of late and, no, it's, and, it's a signif- and it's a significant change when you say hey, I've gone right it, it to is. Strat it's a, it's a different sound yeah mm. you know I'd, and I just want to now divert a bit and talk about um, the, the technique of what you're delivering, what you're releasing. So I say to everybody now, um, the th- the uh, the old system of we will record an album and we will put out three singles. It's usually a uh, two, um, I suppose, more up tempo, and then we go with a ballad. Uh, all that kind of is gone out the window. It means nothing to us at Laneway anyway. Um, it is it is about being uh, in the ears and in the face of your audience. On a monthly basis, we do say six weeks being the, the longest you should wait between drinks when you're releasing titles. 
How have you been able to come to grips with this? Because if you are to produce and record an album, by the time you get it out, let's say it's another year, um, you might as well write your obituary because everybody's forgotten about you. So how are you you coping with this new change? We think it's fantastic. So you have no issues writing? No. No, no, and anyone finds Jill's got 700 melodies and lyrics on their iPhone ready for me to work together with her on. And and the boys sometimes will organise a writing weekend and the, the other two boys will come around and the four of us will jam something out. And so we like to have their input as well. Yeah. Um, and so we've, we've actually got a backup of about eight, 18 songs that are sort of demoed but not fully recorded yet. So we're just... Um, but the hardest thing for us is because our video production team, which is Paul Aitken, who is totally awesome, um, he's out at Lisco and he's working with two or three other projects as well and um, and he's had a couple of health issues. So it's sort of um, – uh, we've been stretching it probably to about 12 weeks, sorry, <laughs> you know, uh, for our output. So, but, Look, but, it, it uh, does happen, but the principle's there, isn't it? That you're you're putting songs out on a very regular basis, and and yep. if you start to look at the streams, I mean, the business is as hard as it's ever been, and sometimes yep. I, uh, you know, I suppose I do get artists who say, "How come my streams are not up?" And I think to myself, "Gee, how could I answer that? My name's not Mandrake the Magician." Um, uh, I think said right in, in, in the years ago. I re- I read a thing with um. Trevor Rabin, who was the new guitarist of Yes, and they put out Owner of a Lonely Heart, that album, in 83, and it went number one around the world, and then it took him three and a half years to put the next album out, and he said everybody had forgotten about him. Oh, absolutely. And I never absolutely. That. And when you brought that up about doing singles regularly, it just made perfect sense to Jill and I. Well, you, you know, what? There's, there's a lot of, there is a lot of technical, um, uh, a lot of technical uh, techniques that you must now manoeuvre around in the digital world. And, and it's humongous. It, you know, I, I live and breathe my music and at midnight at, at night I'm checking things out on social media. When First thing I do when I get out of bed in the morning and I'm a very early riser is I check the streams on various artists, okay? Yeah. And so... You, so and there's so much that goes into it. Now, if I have a look at you guys, um, you've finally started to crack one thousand streams on certain songs, and some mm-hmm. people may say, "Well, that's that's not a lot." Well, the the line in the sand with we'll use Spotify, okay, for all intents and purposes. The line in the sand is a thousand streams. Until you get to a thousand streams, you are considered well, nothing's happening. There's no real interest and you're just putting your music out. So the algorithms will not pick up anything. Now that's a fact, yeah. right? It won't they won't pick up anything. As soon as you hit a thousand, um, and they had to draw the line somewhere, so it's a thousand, and that's when the algorithms will actually take note and will actually place you in a f- few places if you're lucky. Okay, yeah. and so and then so I start to look at your your streams, and you're starting to crack that one thousand, and and that does show you know for the younger artists out there how hard it is i do see along a lot of the younger artists who put out a song they've only had a couple of songs out and they've got 
100,000 streams. Yes, we could get all our artists 100,000 streams, but that would be on fake playlists. Okay, so your playlist is your, is your radio station of today. Radio don't break hits anymore, so radio is useless to us all. Um, mm-hmm. But a playlist is your radio station. So they go into those fake playlists and they think that, well, I'll get on there and I'll get all these streams and then the algorithms will pick me up. Well, no, the algorithms are also built so that um, if you're getting the fake playlists because the individual streamers behind them don't have any substance behind them and the, and the algorithms go and look for that. So uh, it's so easy to pick them. And so therefore they see it as, um, you know, as in a sense, just bots and you don't, yeah. you don't get into the algorithms. It's about being genuine. And so yeah. I've seen some of yours now starting to hit a thousand and, that, and that's what needs to continue to try and get something to viral. Um, I've even noticed like, one of your instrumentals has hit over a thousand canasta. Um, and isn't that amazing where a, an instrumental song can still do so well in a rock band? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and it, it amazes you where it's coming from. So, and, you know, there's several other techniques which we obviously don't talk about, um, you know, in general because we don't want everybody else using them. Uh, but, you know, there is this whole new way of delivering your music and it, as we say, it's uh, delivering it monthly or, by, uh, or every two months or whatever, you must have a video, and videos are so much easier to make nowadays than they were 20 years ago. They're all affordable. There's no real huge cost involved at all. Um, and, and artwork and all or everything that goes with it. Uh, and I think that you guys have been able to um, bring it from, you know, just starting out and not a lot happening because there was no real streams there, uh, to uh, to a situation where we're starting to get to those thousands and there's this continual music happening. Um, some of the videos, of course, have done extremely well, uh, but the videos don't cross over. I mean, have you noticed that? What do you mean? Well, when you have a video that has 20 or 30 or 40,000 streams, it doesn't cross mm-hmm. over to audio, to Spotify, Apple Play, oh, Deezer. Yep. Yeah, yep. and it yep. doesn't cross over. There is that it does not work. So when we mm-hmm. when we're uh, pushing a video, we're pushing it. Yes, of course, to try and substantiate the audio, but it is so hard to get it to come across to there. So it still is a. You know what's funny about that? It's still about the audio, the song. Think about that. It's still about the song yeah. with a backup from a video. It's not the other way around. Um, mm-hmm. It still comes back to your songs, and it still comes back to, very much so, a accessible song. We never use the word commercial at Laneway Music because we're not a commercial kind of label. But an accessible song, and an accessible song being one that's, I suppose, in I suppose in the old terms, let's go back to the 50s, it's a toe-tapper, um, but that someone can remember and you do get so many of the new tracks that are out. I've noticed, because we have a Triple J uh, latest releases playlist on Laneway, and if you go through and listen to that, and it's renewed every um, every week, uh, and you start to listen to what's happening out there with a lot of these new young artists, there is definitely an indie rock feel coming back in as opposed to, say, three, four, five years ago where you were listening to songs that were essentially, I could never remember them 
because it didn't have a kind of a rhythm in them. They're just these, you know, songs. Um, yeah. And it's definitely coming back and you can really hear it. And it's it's those uh, rock riffs, but in an indie, you know, with an indie fashion or with some form of alternative feel to it, which is really important because you need to develop. So um, there's some fantastic things going on in music. I think it's all open for artists like yourselves and young artists uh, to uh, develop their careers and have the potential to viral where possible. Um, so You know, there's a funny thing happening at, at the moment as well, is the whole revolution with artificial intelligence is within music, within art, within video clips, and it seems to be that I'm sensing that, especially younger people, they can smell it a mile away, and that a lot of them like something that's real. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't disagree. I've been seeing all those uh, articles on AI and the YouTube videos to, you know, come across it and how it, it could potentially start writing songs and all that. Well, look, as as much as yes, it will happen. There is no doubt it will happen because it's all progress. But I believe in yep. the human side of it, and that gives it the yep. individual um, flavour and colour and. Yep. I think we won't get away from that. Anyway, that's what I believe. And, I, you know, yep. um, uh, and, and, it's, and it's what we believe at Laneway Music about creativity from our human beings. Um, and yep. I, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to anything else if people want to use robots or AI to, uh, to make music and be creative in that sense, but that's not what we do and we don't want to go down, you know, that's not where we are. It's hard... It's, I think the closest we'll get to is, you know, sequencing and things like that. Um, but outside of that, it's still about you sitting down, Elliot, and coming up with an idea or Gillian giving you some lyrics and you then putting some music to it. It's two human mm. beings interacting. So um, anyway, I think we've got a bit of a rundown on today on Sideshow Annie and uh, we look forward to a lot more new tracks coming our way from you guys. Hell or High Water is the latest song out and everybody should get a dose of that. Uh, there's a fantastic video out on our channel, but it, you get it across all uh, YouTube, of course, and across all digital DSPs, um, uh, your music is out. And there'll be plenty more coming, We, as we just talked about, every month or every two months, a new track coming out. Okay, right. guys, thanks for well. talking to us. And we hope to talk to you again probably in six months' time because we'd like to see <laughs> what else has come out and where you've been and where you've gone, okay? Like thank you, Vince, and, and thanks to the listeners for joining us and Thanks for your support. Really appreciate it. Oh, look, it's, uh, it all comes from the creativity from the artist to begin with, and that has never changed. Um, to the industry in general, I get, I, get very, I get very angry when I see majors who are living in Taj Mahals, um, and <laughs> they are created by the artists, and it's as if they're doing the artist a favour where it's the artist doing them a favour. And... We've mm. got to make sure that the artist is in control at all times, and that's what we try and promote at Laneway Music. It's about the artist. The artist creates the industry, and they're the creative people, and that's where it all starts from. But, of course, we'll get different opinions from the people who are driving those Maseratis. Anyway, <laughs> 
All right, we'll talk to you guys later, and uh, we won't be too controversial, will we? Because you might be signing to B- BMG or Sony one day. All right. <laughs> okay. All Thanks, right, guys. Dad. Talk soon, okay? All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye, Jill. Bye. And there it is, another Laneway Talks. If you enjoyed that, there's more. Just search Laneway Talks for more great conversations. G'day, folks. Mark Allen here and... The Ox, David Schwartz. Uh, And we've started a brand new podcast called... A Couple of Blokes, A Couple of Beers, and we're just chewing the fat. A Couple of Blokes, A Couple of Beers, with Ox and Marco. I'm thinking about whitening my teeth just so when I smile... There's a new episode every Wednesday. Have you got a weight issue? Of course I do. (laughs) It's a stupid loaded question. A Couple of Blokes, A Couple of Beers, with David Schwartz and Mark Allen. I'm eating the kids' Maltese. You're eating their Christmas present. I am a piece of garbage. (laughs) Listen wherever you get your podcasts.